happy Monday. You are listening to the Tar Devils podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network, where we talk Duke, UNC, ACC basketball. Let's go. Episode 17 of the Tar Devils podcast. My name is Tyler Rizzieri, the objective Duke fan in this duo, talking with my friend John Bowman, the unfortunate UNC fan in this duo. And look at this, John. Duke finishes a season undefeated in the postseason, 2-0. UNC finishes a season 2-2 in the postseason, first round bounce, no win in the NCAA tournament. Who's to say... Duke didn't have a better season, you know, undefeated postseason. That's all we're gonna. That's what we're gonna leave it at, okay? Leave it at an undefeated postseason for Duke. An early first round loss for Roy Williams. Something John was sure to remind me of before the tournament. Roy was was it 29 and 0, something like that, entering the game. Now he's 29 and 0, no more 29 and 1. After UNC loses to Wisconsin, 85 to 62. John, I'm excited to listen to your your reaction to the game. Let's hear it, man. Last week, it was Tyler dressed in black for Duke's funeral. Yeah. One week later, it's me. Uh, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but dressed in black, tough day for UNC fans. Tough weekend, really, for UNC fans. This was a really interesting game because all the ways that you think UNC would have lost, uh, it, it wasn't that way. UNC actually shot the ball pretty well from the free throw line. They were 7 of 10 from the line. They only turned the ball over 10 times, but they just didn't have it at all. They were down 40 to 24 at the half, uh, and they would end up losing 85 to 62. Um, Maybe the best illustration of UNC struggles, uh, ESPN has their win probability chart. UNC never had a greater than 50% chance of winning this game. Um, The closest they came was around midway point through the first half, Wisconsin 17, UNC 16. But from there, uh, Wisconsin just exploded forward. Uh, They were up 32-24 with around two minutes left in the first half, and they really just cruised through the second half. Um, There was never really a point where UNC had it particularly close. Um, And UNC's season comes to an end. Roy Williams is now... 29-1 29-1 and one in the first round. Still a remarkable stat, but doesn't quite have the same ring to it as undefeated in the first round. Regardless, it's the end of the season for this North Carolina team. Really an up-and-down season, uh, 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 and, and it ends on a down, obviously. UNC did not have a good performance in this tournament. There were, there were a lot of promising signs from this team in March. There were some big wins. Um, there was some good play in the ACC tournament. But instead, the really, the really the season ends with a whimper here in Indianapolis as part of the NCAA tournament. Um, North Carolina now enters an offseason with a lot of questions, a lot of questions about what this team will look like moving forward and really just sort of the future of the program because there's just so much turmoil right now with the roster and who exactly is going to stay and who is exactly going to go. It's all conjecture at this point, but it'll be really interesting to watch this offseason play out. Tyler, did you have any thoughts about sort of recapping UNC's season before we jump in and look ahead at UNC's offseason? 
Yeah, I think you, the most notable thing you said is UNC didn't lose this game in the ways that you think they would. Like if you told me beforehand they were going to lose by 23 to Wisconsin, I would have said they sh they should probably shot 50% from the free throw line and had 25 turnovers. You look and they had 10 turnovers and 7 or 10 for the free throw line. That's pretty damn good. 70% from the line, 10 turnovers. 10 turnovers is good. And you always want to get single digits, but 10 is not bad, especially when UNC's had turnover problems the whole season. So to lose by 23 with those numbers is pretty astounding to me. And I look at a few stat lines, but Caleb Love, 4 of 13 from the field, 10 points. R.J. Davis, 5 points, 2 of 9 from the field. Those are your leading shot takers. Other than Garrison Brooks, he was 4 of 12, but had a double-double, 10 of 10. Um, but your leading shot takers being the guards, going 4 of 13 and 2 of 9 is, is not going to get it done. And when Wisconsin's shooting damn near 50% from three, you're going to get blown out, which is what happened. And I think this was a very characteristic or this performance was very um, consistent with how UNC has played all season. And that is you don't know what, what the hell team you're going to get any given night. We were talking before the show. You said UNC just had no energy from the jump. And it seems that that's how they played all season. And I think you put that on Roy. If you're going to put it on it's on the coach to have the team ready. And we'll, we gave him credit for 29-0 because he had his team ready for the first game, which is tough to do, but had him ready 29 times before. Didn't have him ready tonight. Something I was very happy to see and start off my weekend with a Friday night, you know, party right there with UNC losing right, probably around 9, 9 p.m. Is it a very nicely timed game for me? So I will say that um, UNC it does head into next season with a lot of off-season questions, and there were a number of transfers this last week that. We're looking at UNC, did not choose. I think one went to Virginia Tech, another chose, I don't know, Kentucky or something like that. So I know Roy's really looking at taking in some transfers. It's worked for him in the past, notably Cam Johnson most recently. Um, but like you said, there's a bunch of rumors about UNC players thinking about transferring. Um, I think Walker Kessler has been on that rumor report for months now. Is there anyone else, John, that you've heard specifically? That yeah, before we about get into that, I even want to set the stage a little bit broader because not everyone, I think, understands just how turbulent this offseason is going to be. Yep. So there's two major factors that head into this offseason that are going to make it super weird. Number one, it's this concept of a super senior. So normally when you exhaust your NCAA eligibility, uh, you say sayonara, you either head off to the pros or play overseas or, you know, get a job as an accountant somewhere, do whatever you want to do post-basketball. But this year, all these seniors sort of have a choice. They can decide to come back uh, to their schools for a fifth or sixth season. So it's really created this instability uh, with, with roster management. You don't know whether or not your seniors are going to be back in Chapel Hill for the next season. Honestly, for some of these seniors, it's a question of uh, whether they – are wanted back. Um, and I know that public Williams <laughs> would say, of course, we want all of our super seniors back. Um, Duke had one, I believe, who uh, declared he said he wanted to not come back. That was Jordan Goldwire. Yeah, Goldwire, he said he's moving on. Yep. It'll be interesting to see what happens with UNC's group. Um, the second thing that's going to make this a very weird offseason is the transfer rules. So normally when you transfer, you have to sit out a year. UNC fans are familiar with this. Seventh Woods 
left UNC. He had to sit out a year before playing at South Carolina. It's going to be very weird this offseason because any transfer can go to a different school and be eligible right away. And that rule isn't officially NCAA law, but it's expected to go through shortly, I believe. So add those th two things together and you get this sort of... No, well, John, not only that, a few years ago, you couldn't transfer in conference. Yeah. Which they changed that and Cam Johnson took advantage of it and transferred from Pitt to UNC. But yeah. now you can also transfer in conference and play immediately as well. Yeah. So it's a, this is a little bit of a stretch, but it's almost as if there's a fantasy draft and every coach can kind of pick and choose from their rivals' rosters, from anyone they're seeing right now playing in March Madness. It's really open season. So it, as for a coach like Roy Williams, who is you know so set in his ways, he has a very specific way of how he scouts players. It's process-oriented. He cares a lot about getting eyes in person on uh, sort of the recruits he's going after. This is a uh, completely uncharted waters for Coach Williams and his coaching staff. And UNC really has to ace this offseason because there are gonna be a lot of transfers potentially heading out. This is all speculation at this point. It's hard to exactly say where everything is gonna shake out, but the rumors are flying all over the place. Um, you basically hear every name on UNC's roster is either coming or going or, coming back for another year, um, possibly headed out to the pros with Dayron, and then some transfer out rumors, which are really interesting. Um, something just sort of to keep in mind as well, we don't know exactly when the NBA draft is gonna be. So that sort of leads us to some instability in terms of when someone like Dayron Sharp would have to make the decision. So put all these pieces together, it's gonna be a very weird off season. I know what Roy Williams is looking for, but I'm not sure exactly what his team is going to look like next year. Yeah, and I think just the more, I think, realistic rumors that we see right now is Garrison's probably coming back for a super senior year. Um, I know he said he thought about it. Well, what else is he going to do? If he wants to play basketball, he's got to come back because he's not good enough to go to the league. Maybe he'll play overseas. But to me, he seems like someone that wants to come back. I saw comments about Leaky Black and Andrew Playtech. No UNC fan wants him to, them to come back, but they may. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, Kessler with the transfer rumors. Seems like Dayron's going to go to the draft. Is there anyone else, John, that you've heard that you think have substantiated realistic? There's rumors? a little bit of smoke around. Johnson, maybe? Caleb Love. Mm -hmm. Caleb Love's dad, apparently, on Twitter. I, I haven't strayed too far down that path, but... There's a little bit of smoke there, and, and we know if there's enough smoke, there's probably a fire. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of these these kids at really every school, they're gonna kind of you know look around. Honestly, if they're I was, looking out for openings and see where they can play immediately, yeah. which and I don't blame them, but that's what's gonna happen. You're not gonna have a lot of these loaded rosters, which for Duke next year it's gonna be interesting who transfers and who stays, because mm -hmm. Duke's supposed to have a loaded roster where people may not get any playing time that you would going into the year thought they'd be starters. So I wonder how Duke's going to reload too um, and manage the number of recruits they get bring, uh, going forward. Yeah, it's a little bit of musical chairs too because we've seen this with the NCAA football uh, transfer portal. You know, at a certain point, it's easy to go in, but it's hard to get a scholarship offer and actually get out. And there's a lot of players in the portal right now 
who just don't have anywhere to go. Um, so especially with basketball, when the numbers are tight, um, it's going to be easy for players to sort of peek around a little bit, but then the music's going to stop at a certain point and everyone's going to sort of have to find a home. Um, we've already seen it with Pitt. They had some starters on their team uh, leaving Pitt. Uh, I understand that they're looking for a better opportunity, but you know Pitt had a pretty solid team, all things considered, this year. And I think Xavier Johnson and one other player for Pitt are going to be trying to find new homes. Um, we'll see what where they end up. It's just going to be a really fascinating off-season to see how it all shakes out for, for the Triangle schools, especially UNC and Duke. One thing that we do know is Duke will be reloaded next year, top five team in the country. UNC a big question mark again. Who knows? Yeah, no, I think absolutely. I am, after the last two seasons where UNC had a lot of preseason hype, preseason top 15-ish, um, people saw the potential. I think UNC really is not going to get much hype this offseason. They have to prove it after two um, down years, considering where the program is historically. UNC uh, has some good pieces, but those pieces are going to have to come together, and they're going to be much more uh, of an underdog team next year. They won't have too high of a lofty preseason ranking or anything like that. Right. I'm expecting they won't show up any, in any of the preseason uh, top 25 lists that come out after March Madness closes up. I agree because Roy's recruiting trail has been cold, very cold. Not only do we not see big-time recruits coming from high school, but he's losing all the transfers that you would think he'd get too. So even like the – I don't know if it's Vasilovich or one of them from Miami chose, I think, Virginia Tech or something like that. Maybe I got that a little wrong, but it was some of the in-conference transfers that Roy's been targeting, they're not going to him. And then – He's losing um, traction with a lot of the high school recruits. So UNC could be in a world of trouble next year, which yeah. speculating, you're talking missed, you missed the tournament, would have missed the NIT too in 2019. First round exit in 2020 and 2021 season. Yeah. If you guys miss the tournament again, you know, who knows where Roy's future is. Yeah. And I think it just sort of is, it's a weird point for, for UNC basketball. It's kind of like, Everyone's looking around, you know, what does this program mean? What does this stand for? Because UNC has guys in the league, and they have success. They won the championship in 2017. So you think, and, you know, from the outside, it certainly still feels like this is a blue blood program that a lot of players, young high school players or college transfers, would love to go to. But for whatever reason, it just feels like UNC has been a little bit off of its game recently. Uh the two down seasons haven't hurt. The Cole Anthony and the Nazir, Nasir Little falling a little bit in the draft has hurt. But, you know, just on the flip side, Cam Johnson came to UNC and improved his stock a lot. He was a high pick after essentially being an ACC-level transfer, ACC-level player before that. So, yeah, it's just sort of a weird time for the UNC program. Definitely going to be one, going to be one of the most important off-seasons in UNC basketball. Um in a long time. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Some, something we'll cover a lot as it plays out over the course of the summer. Don't expect any news in the short term. I think it'll take a while for all this to shake out. But, you know, once that news starts coming, it could come fast. So we'll see what exactly what happens over the course of the summer. We're going to jump into segment two now to talk a little bit about March Madness and what's been going on with the bracket. 
Okay, so the March Madness tournament is officially underway. We've already had all of the first round games through. As we're recording this, half of the second round games have been played. A tough, tough tournament for the ACC teams. Far from what happened a few years ago when the Elite Eight was sub the uh, ACC Invitational. I think we had five of the eight teams in the Elite Eight, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Now it seems like every ACC team has fallen. All the North Carolina schools are out of out of all the postseason right now. Um, I'll just roll through the scores real quick. So UNC lost to Wisconsin 62-85. to 85. Um, UNC was the eighth seed. Wisconsin was the ninth seed. Virginia Tech lost to Florida in the first game of the tournament. Virginia Tech being the 10th seed, Florida the 7th seed. Virginia Tech lost 70-75 to 75 in overtime. And what was one of the craziest finishes I've ever seen, that being uh, Virginia Tech down three with like f seven seconds left. Florida misses two free throws. Virginia Tech comes down and hits a game-tying three with one second left and then loses in overtime. So not too surprising, honestly, with how Virginia Tech ended their season playing essentially like three games in two months or something, like two games in two months to end the season. But still a thrilling game to watch. ACC falls in another one there. Georgia Tech. I don't know why. It wasn't COVID, I don't believe, but Moses Wright missed, was going to miss this first week of the tournament. And I actually had picked Georgia Tech to beat um, Loyola Chicago. Then I saw Moses Wright wasn't playing. Who is the ACC player of the year? And I picked Loyola Chicago. So predictably, Georgia Tech lost 71 to 60. John, do you have any idea why Moses Wright was not going to play that first weekend? They didn't deem it COVID. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It was definitely weird, and they absolutely had to be some intra, you know, program yeah. thing. But anyway, Georgia Tech falls there. The ACC champions loses the ACC Player of the Year. They fall. Um, moving on, Syracuse. Somehow, Syracuse in this tournament, the worse they are, the better they do in the tournament. I don't understand it. They beat. They were Syracuse snuck in as an 11 seed. Beat San Diego State, who's a 6 seed, 78 to 62. And then followed up today, Syracuse beat West Virginia, who's a three seed, 75 to 72. Remember when uh, a few years ago when Syracuse was like the eight seed or nine seed and got to the Sweet 16? Syracuse now has, I think it's three Sweet 16 appearances as a double-digit seed, maybe four, but since 2016. That's unheard of. And I think one, one point may be that it's hard to prepare for their length of their zone. But they're not long at all this year. I thought they sucked. I mean, Duke killed them. And Duke was not very good this year. So I feel like for whatever reason, when Syracuse is on the bubble and may not deserve to get in, for whatever reason, they're eating this tournament alive year after year. Props to Beheim. He's getting them ready to play at the right time of season. And his son, Buddy Beheim, who many believe at least a few years ago was just on the team because he was his son, he's proven himself. 25 points. His tournament stat line has been crazy. I think he probably averaged like 27 points a game, something around that in the in the postseason. So shout out to Buddy Beheim. Um, and then, so a bad a bad day for the UNC, for ACC basketball. Then Ohio beat UVA the next day. Ohio being a 13 seed, UVA the four seed. Kind of predictable. UVA had COVID right before, couldn't practice all week. Travel day of playing. Ohio was a big underdog that many people took um, in their bracket for. One of their players, Preston, is like a triple-double machine. So that shook out as many predicted with UVA losing. I don't know if that was too much of an upset. Um, and then Florida State, they 
beat UNC Greensboro. Now Florida State plays Monday against Colorado. Uh, that's a four four seed versus five seed matchup. So Florida State, the only team, or sorry, Florida State and Syracuse, the only team left from the ACC um, that is in the tournament. John, is this a surprise to you that before the second round's over, ACC only has two teams left? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've been following this conference all year, it just really isn't a surprise because this has been a down year for the ACC. We've talked about it since our earliest episodes. The conference itself was wide open. Um, there's no strong teams this year as much. Um, you know, the Duke and UNC are rarely bad in these same years. And yep. then add on to that the fact that Virginia also kind of had a down year compared to where they've been in the last few. Uh, it's not surprising. It's still disappointing for the ACC because there are some chances, you know, opportunities to make some noise in this tournament. Um, I thought in particular, I know you just laid out why, but Virginia exiting in the first round, I think, is is kind of a rough a rough one for that program. It just shows they've had a weird stretch these last few years. Losing as a one seed in the first round, national championship, and now this. They've been all over the place, but yep. that's just sort of who Virginia basketball is at this point with that with that style. Uh, they mm -hmm. sort of have that high variance when you blow down the possessions like that and then you get into these tournament games and weird stuff can happen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and overall, I mean, I think that, you know, Syracuse doing well isn't super surprising because they're able to shoot the ball really well. And they've yep. been hot these first few games. It's going to be really interesting to see just how far they can go. I mean, can they sneak into the Final Four again? I think it's definitely possible. Um, that bracket that, in that region, anything, that region's crazy right now. Yeah. With that, Tyler, let's take a look at the bracket a little bit. What has stood out to you uh, just looking at the bracket as a whole? Uh, most notably, Illinois being the first team to lose shocked me a little bit. Um, just be the first one seed to lose, sorry. Just because they had been playing the best of any of the one seeds going into that tournament. But again, that's March Madness. That's kind of how it happens. Whoever you think is playing the best usually is not going to be the team that wins it. I mean, I remember, I believe it may have been 2016 or 17 when Michigan State had Denzel Valentine and they were the two seed. And everyone picked Michigan State to win that year as a two seed. And they lost first round. And everyone was like, Izzo's team lost first round? And that's kind of what March Madness is all about. So I will say Loyola Chicago has an elite defense that has been very um, undermined and has flown under the radar this year. So looking at that region, a lot of people have Oklahoma State coming out of there. Loyola Chicago could beat them and maybe come out of that region. It would be cool to see an eight seed. Uh, come out of which region? The Midwest region. Mayhem in the South region. Oklahoma, who saw Ohio State? With Ohio State was playing as the best two seed. They lost first round um, to Oral Roberts. Who saw that coming? Really? Oh, no, that's another. But Baylor looks damn good again. Their guards are so good. They've knocked off the rust that they had. They had that two week COVID break um, leading up to their um, a, a conference tournament. They looked rusty. Had a couple or had a loss. Now they look damn good again. I think Baylor still looks good to make it to the finals. Um, and then the West bracket, we've only seen one round of play so far. That was fun to watch. I think some predict predictable upsets. One was, what we talked about was Ohio. Um, and then oh, what was it? maybe there wasn't more upset. Oh, I think LSU may beat Michigan on Monday. We'll see if that happens. Um, UCLA actually picked to beat BYU as well. So. Um, that was that was nice to see, but 
looking at the West region, I still like Gonzaga to come out and win it all. And then in the East, Alabama is still alive, which I, I picked to come out. Um, so bracket is so-so right now after the second round. Um, a couple big losses. Not too many surprises, but definitely going to be a fun end to this tournament. Yeah, when people are listening to this on Monday, they're going to uh, know a lot more than us. And yep. When we're recording this, Rutgers and Houston are locked in a very close game right now. So it's going to be a really exciting uh, stretch here on Sunday evening into Monday. I think it's been a really fun tournament, though. I think there's been a good mix of upsets, and we still have you know, some of the elite teams still left, which I think is exciting. Yep. Um, Gonzaga, I think everyone wants to see them in the Elite Eight, in the Final Four. So it's good that they haven't been upset yet. Um, yep. Of course, they have Oklahoma tomorrow, and then they have to get through. Um, I'm predicting USC still uh, to beat them, uh, potentially, or not not to beat them, but to meet them in the Elite Eight over Iowa. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting tournament. Um, from my brackets perspective, I'm hoping Houston holds on. Uh, I picked Loyola Chicago. Uh, to get to the Elite Eight, so hopefully they're able to sneak in. Um, they had a big win over Illinois today, but I'm predicting Oklahoma State wins later tonight, and I think that'll be a tough matchup for them. Um, and then I still have Alabama uh, in the Final Four, so they looked good in their first game. I think they'll handle Maryland pretty easily. Um, and then from there, they'll play the winner of UCLA and uh, Abilene Christians. So that's a, a pretty smooth ride to the Elite Eight for Alabama if they can handle their business. Todd. All right, one thing um, I wanted to add. I know you were big on Texas going into the tournament just because they look good against UNC, but um, I was kind of happy to see Appling Christian win, but oh my God, what that's one of the most horrendous calls to end a game I've ever seen. So Texas, <laughs> I mean, I feel for them. That's a terrible way to go out and uh, – Abilene Christian got a little help from the refs on that one. That's that's the only thing I'll say about that game. Yeah, that's a great segue. I hyped that Texas team up on the Did You Hear podcast last week, and then they go out and lose in the first round. We're going to go on a little bit of a break this podcast, and we'll come back at the end of March Madness. We're going to do a co another uh, co-episode, have some guests on with the Did You Hear podcast um, to recap everything March Madness. Uh, discuss any UNC Duke news if there's been any um, once the end of the tournament rolls around in April. Um, so we hope everyone enjoys the tournament. Knock on wood, there's no more COVID interruptions or anything like they had just the one game canceled so far. Um, Tyler, are you sticking with Gonzaga? It sounds like it for your championship pick. Yep, definitely going to stick with Gonzaga till I see anything otherwise. I said earlier, I think they will meet Baylor. Those two look like the best teams right now. We will see if that happens in a couple weeks. Absolutely. We'll come back. We'll make, uh, uh, you know, we'll see how our predictions did. I was already wrong once with Louisville in the ACC tournament. We'll <laughs> see how Gonzaga, both of us are picking them to win the NCAA tournament. Uh, Tyler, why don't you tell people where they can listen to the podcast, how they can find us on Twitter? Absolutely. Please follow follow us. Um, on Twitter at Tar Devils Podcast, and then subscribe and listen weekly on Spotify or Apple Podcasts at Tar Devils Pod. Thanks everyone for listening. Enjoy March Madness.